Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Come on, come on. Listen, this has been an awesome, awesome series. And so for those of you who are guests with us, you got to go back and listen to the podcast because it's incredible. We're wrapping up a series called um, If and just having this thought of like, what if we really lived like God is for us? Because Paul, the writer of Romans, he makes this statement in the middle of Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 is a glorious chapter that talks about the goodness of God and the grace of faith that we have. And um, in it, he, he says, what more can we say about all of these things? And how being led by the Spirit is protection and all these things. And then he says, if God is for us, for those of you who've been here, how does the rest of it go? Who can be against us? And I got to thinking about this, that this summer is, is like, some of you may have heard sermons preached on this before. Maybe you've read this verse and, and maybe you thought, this is, this is good stuff, but it's, it's not really for me. Because I know even for me as a pastor, sometimes it's easier for me to believe God's word for you guys more so than it is for me. Anybody else feel that way? Like you hear God's promises, you've heard sermons, and you think, oh, this is all great, but I really struggle with believing that, that it's for me. And I really, really want, guys, I want you and I, um, I want us as a church to come to a point to where we can get to a place that, that we believe that if God is for us, who can be against us? And it's my hope that even after this series is over, that every time you see the word if, that you think about that. That when you're reading the newspaper or you're reading social media and you see this, this, this little two-letter word, if, this um, conditional conjunction that puts a possible outcome with something that we must do, if and then, that every time you see if, you think about, if God is for me, who can be against me? And that becomes kind of to resonate within like your spirit, within your heart, within your minds. And so as we understand this, guys, there's, there's, there's some things that, that we keep in mind is that if God is for us and his ultimate goal is for our good to make us in the image of his son, then everything that you've went through, that everything that you experience, every high, every low, every disappointment, that the Bible says that he works all of those things together for your good. And that we come to an understanding and trusting that absolutely nothing that you experience is wasted. That, that not a single heartache, not a single empty success that, that we've experienced, like none of that is wasted in the great scheme of things in working things out for your good to become more like his son. And then also understanding that, that nothing is withheld, whatever you need in your life, he will supply for you at the right time because he is for you. What we talked about last week, just real quickly, is, is sometimes we fall into a trap. It's like, well, what if God's not? Anybody? It's like, Stephen, I hear what you're saying, but what if he's not? Like, do you know me? I don't know you, but I know me. And I promise you, like, how I look at myself and view myself at times, the enemy tries to get me to question my identity 
and God's nature because that's what he's always doing. He's building up these thought patterns, these strongholds, these, these things to keep us from really accepting and receiving God's goodness, but also really accepting and understanding our identity in him. And that first, in Genesis, that you and I are created in God's image. And that since the fall, God is working in our life to form us in the image of his son. And coming to that understanding, we're either trying to perform to get God to be good to us and be for us, or we project. And so we put ourselves in these traps of performance and projection. And so I want to break us out of that. Because say that he is absolutely for you. So point your neighbor, point him, like poke him in the shoulder, say, hey, God's for you. Poke him harder than that. I don't think they're getting it. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, I need, like, like, dig the finger in the shoulder, all right? Just kidding. Some of you have nails. Okay, that's scary. But I want you to get, like, God is for you. Even when you think he's not, if he's not, guess what? You're wrong. He is. But I want to look at this question today. Is like, well, what if I fail? Because some of you have some dreams in your heart. Some of you have some things that maybe God wants you to pursue. And, and for some of you, it, it, it may not be going on an 11-month missions trip. For some of you, it may not be moving to the other side of the state to start a church. It may be something small that's going to have a greater effect. But in your, in your mind, in your thoughts, you may be thinking, well, what if I fail? And I love, I like, I love reading through scripture and I see all these stories where this, this what if takes place. And, and there's this story in the Old Testament about a, about a guy named Jonathan who was the son of the king and, and the king was supposed to go to fight a battle and instead dad was, was kind of taking a nap. And so Jonathan, and not this Jonathan, but another Jonathan was, was, was deciding, look, we got to do something. And so he took his armor bearer and he climbed halfway up a mountain where the enemy was and he stopped and he told his armor bearer and he said, we'll go up to fight. Perhaps the Lord will be with us. And then he says, if they say, now he, he's not walking up very confidently. I mean, come on, would you follow your friend? He's like, hey, let's go do this. God might be with us. <laughs> he might, let's see, like, I don't know if I would do that. But they stop about halfway up and Jonathan looks at his friend and says, look, if they say, come up here and face us, then we know God's in the fight and victory is ours. But if they say, stay there and we'll come after you, then we know that we're doomed. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't want to be in that if conversation. But the story goes, they, they, like they say, come up here and fight us like a man. And so they go and God brings victory. And we see that and we celebrate that. And we read in the Old Testament about this, about this beauty queen named Esther. And she goes to save her, her, her people and she has to go before the king, but anyone who ever goes before the king without being invited is put to death. And, and her uncle is like, look, you, you've got to go save our people. And she makes this statement, if I die, I die. I've never made that statement, <laughs> right? But she goes before the king and everything's a complete success. Her people are saved. And there's my favorite story is of these three little Hebrew boys, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego. But I always call them Rack Shack and Benny, thanks to VeggieTales. Anybody else? <laughs> right? Like I, but like, I had to go back and like, say it over and over and over, Rad Shack, Meshack, and Abednego. Right? And so they've been asked by the king to bow and worship another god besides their god. 
And the punishment for not following that is to be thrown in a furnace. And so they're captured, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar is his name. They, like, they bring the three boys and you know, ask them to bow and worship one more time. And they're like, no, we're not going to. And he says, well, if you don't, I'm going to throw you in. And he says, look, I know our God will save us. But this is powerful. He says, but even if he doesn't, I will not bow and worship you. Guys, that is some confidence in their God, in our God. And so they don't. And it says Nebuchadnezzar just gets like his face all contorted with, with anger. And he turns the furnace up higher and they throw him in. And guess what? They survive because there's not three men in the furnace, but there's a fourth man in the furnace. Their God went into the furnace and save them. And so we read these and we're like, these are incredible stories. I want my life to be like that. But what if I fail? Because we sometimes read these heroes in scripture and they're larger than life. But there's one in scripture that I love reading because he's just like me. And it's this dude in the New Testament. His name is Peter. And he's one of Jesus's 12 disciples. And scripture talks, and, and the, the, the Pharisees um, call him a uneducated fisherman. And so Jesus, when he chose his disciples, he picked not the top of the class, but the bottom of the barrel, guys. <laughs> because he likes to make a mockery of things that think they're all that. And see, he uses things that seem weak and seem unwise by world standards to change things up. And so Jesus picks this guy named Peter, and he's a fisherman. And, and when you read, like, the Gospels, a lot of times it seems real robotic in that Jesus is walking by, and he sees these guys, and he says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, right? And then they just all kind of follow him. But, but, but one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Mark just makes this, or Luke, Luke chapter 5. This is where we see Peter first come on the scene, Luke chapter 5. And I love the story and the detail and the imagery in this because Peter had been out all night fishing, um, had had no success. And him and his brother were washing out their nets completely unsuccessful. And Jesus is walking by and he gets in their boat. So they've left their boat. They're washing their nets. And Jesus gets in the boat and asks Peter to push him out from shore a little bit so that he can begin to teach. And after he finishes teaching, I love this in, in verse 5, Luke chapter 5. Jesus says, go out a little further. Go out a little further where it's deeper and put down your nets. And Peter's response is, Lord, we've worked hard all night and we've caught nothing. But look at this, what he says. He says, but if you say so, I will let my nets down again. And as you go finish reading the story, it says that the nets were so full of fish that the nets began ripping that they could not bring them to shore. And Peter and his brother and the other fishermen, they were amazed and could not believe what they were seeing. And then Jesus tells them, he says this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So Peter's journey begins with Jesus by letting him into his boat. You and I have to let Jesus into our life. Come on. And then listening to the teachings of Jesus and then obeying his word. So Peter's sitting in the boat with Jesus in his boat. You and I are walking in life, should be walking with Jesus in our life, listening to his teachings and then being obedient when he asks us to do those things. 
And so Peter becomes a disciple, a follower of Jesus when other people thought that he didn't have what it takes. And so we're going to look just at a continuation of Peter's kind of walk with Jesus and how sometimes he was up here and then he was down here. Another very familiar story with you guys is is that after Jesus fed the 5,000, he sends the disciples across the, the lake in a boat to the other side. And these guys are fishermen and, and, and they're, they're, they're going and they're rowing. And then a storm comes and they're struggling. They're fighting against the waves. It says Jesus sees them struggling at about three o'clock in the morning. Who knows how long he'd been watching them. You guys ever, those of you kids, you just watch your kids struggle for a minute. <laughs> and be like, they'll figure it out. <laughs> And then, and then they don't, so it becomes entertainment at that point. It's like, this is, and so I don't know like what was going through Jesus' mind, but he's watching them about 3 o'clock in the morning. He starts walking across the water, and the story goes that, that they get scared. And this is in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And, and they're like, it's a, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, take courage. It's me. And Peter who's now following Jesus at this point, he says, Lord, if, come on, he says, if it is you, if it is really you, tell me to come walking on the water. Now, I'm not a very good swimmer. I'm not getting in the water when it's calm. (laughs) I'm not getting in the water when it's storming, and I'm definitely not a water walker. I'm not gonna attempt to walk on water when it's calm. I'm definitely not going to attempt to walk on water when it's stormy. But this is how Peter had been following Jesus as he thinks it's Jesus and says, Lord, if that is you, tell me to come. Have you guys ever been in moments where you think God is calling you to do something, but you're not sure? It's like, I, I think he's in the distance, but things are kind of crazy right now. I think, I think that's him. I think he's calling me, but how do I know that it's, that it's not? You have to say, Lord, if that is you. Tell me to come. And you will get an answer. It may not be right then, but you will get an answer. And then you have a responsibility, just like he did with the first interaction with Jesus. You, you have a responsibility to obey. Like, oh gosh, can I get a do-over? Like, I didn't really mean that. Can I not? And he steps out. He steps out and he takes a couple of steps and he begins to focus not on Jesus, but on the winds and the waves. And he begins to sink and he calls out, And Jesus immediately reaches out, grabs him, and says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they climbed back in the boat, the wind stopped. And when I was reading that this week, it hit me. The wind didn't stop when when Jesus pulled Peter up. The storm didn't stop when Jesus pulled Peter up out of the water. They were still water walking on waves and a storm. It wasn't until they got back to the boat that the storm stopped. So many times we think when Jesus rescues us or pulls us up that that he's supposed to take care of the storm. But maybe he's keeping the storm and keeping close to you so that you can learn to trust him in the storm. So that when the next storm comes, you know, all right, that's Jesus. He's been here before. I can say, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come. And we can step out of the boat a little more confidently. The next time, but but here's what I know, and I know like in my life, and maybe in yours, maybe there's been moments as a as a believer, or maybe as a let me check out this relationship with Jesus, where you have stepped out of the boat and you said, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come, and you stepped out, and it didn't go as you thought it would. 
and there was some disappointment. And so now maybe God's putting something back in your heart to step out and do again. Or maybe he's drawing you to a, a closer relationship with him and you're remembering the last time that it didn't go so well and the storms overcame you. But what if that is him and he's calling you? Jesus still picked him up. Peter hadn't caught anything in the first interaction. Jesus gave him some direction. Peter followed, and he was successful. Peter steps out of the boat, and he fails, and Jesus picks him back up. So we kind of see this. Lord, if you say so, I'll get my nets out again. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come, and I really will. And then Jesus is following uh, or Peter is following Jesus throughout his ministry, and it's getting close to the end in Mark chapter 14. And we see Peter make this bold declaration about who Jesus is and, and how he follows and wants to follow Jesus. But then we also see Peter denying Jesus in this, and it's, it's after the Last Supper. It's after Jesus has had the final meal with his disciples. And he's letting them know that he's about to give his life on the cross. And Peter is having this conversation like, no, Lord, you can't do this. It isn't going to happen. And there's this dialogue that takes place. And Jesus says, look, as a matter of fact, you're all, you're all going to abandon me. And Peter, in all his boldness, because, hey, he's a water walker now, right? In all his boldness, he says, Lord, there is no way. He says, if, even if I have to die with you, in verse 31, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Bold statement. As the story continues, Jesus is arrested, and all the disciples do desert him. They run away. As a matter of fact, one dude was trying to get away so hard, like they caught him by his clothes, and he just ran out of them and ran away naked. It's like it's the first streaker in the Bible, maybe. I don't know, but like, like, like you're really trying to get away if you're going to run out of your clothes, dude. But it said all the disciples deserted and abandoned Jesus, but it says Peter followed at a distance. Come on, sometimes we're following Jesus, but it's at a distance because we're following at a distance and, 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 and that's all that we can do. But guess what, guys? Guess what? You're still following, even if it's at a distance. So keep following. And so as Jesus is, is being interrogated and he's tied up and he's being slapped around and people start to recognize Peter and they come to Peter and it's like, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? You've got to be because we've seen you with him. And, and, and Peter, who just made this bold declaration, I would even die for you. He says, are you kidding me? I don't, even, I don't, I don't know that guy. Psst, Jesus, who? No. He's not asked once, twice. He denies Jesus three times. And the funny thing is, is Jesus had actually told Peter he was going to do this. He said, you say that, that you won't abandon me, but you're actually going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And the imagery of this, because Peter makes this statement the last time when this servant girl came to Peter and said, look, I know you've got to be one of his followers. And he makes this statement, a curse on me if I am lying. I don't know this man that you're talking about. Someone who was declaring their allegiance to Jesus, had walked to him on water, had seen him perform miracles, had declared he was the son of God in private, now in public, as saying, I don't know him. A curse on me if I'm lying. Guess what Peter was doing? He was lying. <laughs> I don't know. He was lying. 
And so here he was making this bold declaration, and now he's boldly denying that he knows Jesus. And it says, in that moment, the rooster crowed, and Jesus' words flashed through his mind. Another one of the disciples and another one of the, the, the gospels says that when the rooster crowed, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Let that sink and settle for a moment. That the Savior that you're professing and accepting, that when you deny him, he turns and looks at you. Imagine the guilt. It says that he went away weeping. Imagine the guilt that he felt. Imagine the shame that he felt. Just wanting to go and run and hide. And he, and, and he actually does. He goes back fishing. He gets his boys and he goes back fishing. Just going back to the old way. And so we look at Peter in this moment. And so how many, how many of us where we've made these declarations about Jesus and our faith um, that we failed to follow through with? And let's be honest, like the church has lost some influence because we failed to follow through with our declarations. But on the flip side of that, Jesus still wants us to follow him, church. Because he actually told Peter, look, you're going to deny me. I know you've got these great plans. How many times have we not followed through for those of us who are believers and followers of Jesus? Have we not followed through with what we promised God? And then we think, well, since I didn't follow through, there's no way he's going to be for me. I know he's put this dream in my heart or he's calling me to a closer relationship with him, but there's no way he's going to bring me back because of what I've done. Guess what? Peter is the ultimate redemption story. And so we see in John chapter 21, in John chapter 21, it's kind of the end. Jesus has placed himself on the cross and he's given up his life. He's been buried. After three days, he comes out of the grave and he has some interactions with his disciples and, and other people. And, and Peter is still just kind of depressed at what he's done, like depressed at, at Jesus maybe hasn't come through and like what he thought he was supposed to come through. And so he and his buddies go back out fishing and they're fishing all day and all night and haven't caught anything. They're about a hundred yards from shore in John chapter 21. And a man shows up and they don't recognize him. They don't recognize him, and it's, it's a very similar interaction, mirrored interaction than what Peter had the first time. They don't recognize him, and Jesus is on the shore, and he says, hey, friends, hey, friends, throw your net on the other side. And so they do, like, hey, what else do we have to lose? Like, Jesus is, is gone. They don't recognize that it's him. They throw their nets on the other side, and it says immediately their nets were so full of fish. And so John is writing this, and John refers to himself as the one who Jesus loves. And so he even does in this, he's like, the one Jesus loves looked at Peter and said, it's the Lord, <laughs> right? And so he's talking about himself, like, Jesus, the Lord loves me. Do you guys talk about, like, like I'm, I'm the favorite, you're not, I'm his favorite. So John is essentially looking at Peter, he's like, hey, I'm the favorite, but look, that's Jesus. And so Peter he doesn't say, hey, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come and I'll walk on the water. He doesn't even wait. He just puts his robe on. So apparently he was fishing naked. That's odd. But he puts his clothes on and then he jumps into the water and swims 100 yards to the shore. And Jesus has already got a meal prepared and they have some, some fish and, and biscuits. And this, this conversation, this dialogue takes place between Peter and Jesus. And 
Jesus asks Peter a few times in John chapter 1. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's response, Lord, you know I do. Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. And he asks him a second time, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, Lord, you know I do. He says, then feed my lambs. And then he asks him a third time. He says, do you love me? And by this point, like, I don't know about you guys, but like, if I get asked something over and over and over, and I give you the same answer over, I'm like, I'm, I'm finding a Spanish dictionary so that I can translate. Like, like how, how can I translate this to you so that you are, I'm giving you the same answer. Yes, 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 I do. And then Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. Look, guys, what's happening here is Peter is being brought back in. That he has failed royally, Right? But what Jesus is saying is, look, I am still for you. And so apparently there was some competition going on between Peter and John. And Peter asks Jesus about John. It's like, hey, what about John? Is, is, is he going to live until you return? And Jesus makes the statement. He says, if I want him, being John, to remain if I want John to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? He says, as for you, Peter, follow me. So many times we, we look at what other people are doing and we look at like what God may be doing in their life or question like what, does, what could God do? In like, like we look at other people and we feel like we're missing out. And that's what Peter is like, look, God, I know, like, Jesus, I know I failed you. I'm, like, the water deal didn't work out. I know I was supposed to be there by your side, but I went and hid. He's like, but what about this guy? And that's what, like, we try to justify our shortcomings by looking at someone else. And what Jesus looks at Peter and says, look, as for you, just follow me. Hear me, church, in my heart on this. That's what a relationship with him is. It's not getting all the declarations and, and getting everything right all the time. It's not performing miracles. It's not going like on, like just doing huge things for God, just like John said. It's not those things. Jesus says, as for you, Stephen, just follow me. God, you called me to plant this church in Murfreesboro, and now there's a pandemic and elections going crazy. Like, like what am I doing? There's other churches, like in other states, they're like launching with 700 people. He's like, that's what is going on in their world, what's it to you? As for you, follow me. Where Peter got in trouble on the storm is when he took his eyes off Jesus. Where Peter could have gotten in trouble watching John was because he was taking his eyes off Jesus. And so what you and I, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's about following Jesus whether it's at a distance, whether it's up close, just so long as we are following him. No matter how many times you fall or fail, guess what? God is still for you as you follow him. Proverbs 24, 16, it says the godly may trip seven times. But guess what they do? They get up again. And if you've walked with Jesus any length of time, you're not going to get something right. But he's there in the storm to pick you up. He's there on the beach to say, look, I still love you. Just follow me.
And so as I look around this room, and, and I don't know what desires and what dreams God has put in your heart, but maybe your response to him is, what if I fail? Let's look at Peter's life. Peter failed again and again and again. Jesus kept picking him back up, dusting him off, picking him back up, dusting him off. I'm for you. Keep following me. And, and, and we finally see this, and I love this in Acts chapter 2. After Jesus ascends into heaven and leaves the apostles and the disciples to basically turn the world upside down. They spend some time in prayer, and the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost, and, and some incredible things happen. And there's thousands of people around. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Then Peter stepped forward. Come on. The man who was denying Jesus, hiding behind locked doors, afraid of what would happen, in this moment with thousands around, emboldened by the Holy Spirit, steps forward to the crowd and gives the first sermon of the church without notes. I was freaking out a little bit. Like when the countdown started, I couldn't find my journal. I write everything down. And I was like, oh Lord, like, like I know your word is in me, but I need my notes. Peter steps forward with no notes and 3,000 were added to the church that day. Now, I'm not saying like next Sunday I'm going to preach. Like, I'm, not, I'm not saying next Sunday you got to get up here and preach. I'm not saying next Sunday you got to sing. I'm not saying you got to sign up to go on 11 book. But what small thing even is God calling you to? And he's wanting you to know I'm for you. Who can be against you? And our response is, well, God, what if you're not? He is. What if I fail? You will. <laughs> but I'm there to pick you up put you back in the boat, reinstate you, give you strength. And guys, this is how I want us to live as a church. Look, look, we, like, I want a new location. I'm believing, look, God owns it all on a level. He can provide a new location for us. I'm believing for your life that whatever you need resource-wise, whether it's financial, whether it's emotional, spiritual, guess what? He has it for you. And it really is, like, after this series, it's my heart that when you read these two letters, if, I-F, that your memory will spark back to, if God's for me, then who can be against me? You can be reading about the NBA playoffs, the NFL, like the draft. I don't care. But when you see the word if, I want you to remember, if God is for me, who can be against me? What if I fail? It doesn't matter. As long as you're following Jesus, he's right there. And that's all that matters. As for you... Follow me. That's what I believe he's saying to some of you today. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to know this, and I want you to hear this. There is no perfection in following Jesus. There is only progress. And progress is made one step at a time. And for some of you here today, that first step lines up with Peter's first step. It's getting Jesus in your boat. It's getting Jesus in your life. It's listening to what he has to say to you and being obedient with that first act where he says, come and follow me. And it's not anything that you have to get ready in your life. It's not anything that you have to work out. He's done all the work for you already. You simply just surrender and say, Jesus, I give you my life. You don't have to have everything perfect because he's, 
will work in process of making all things perfect in you over time. And some of you in here, you may have some, some issues, some sin in your life. You're like, well, did God really accept me for who I am? Churches would be empty if he didn't accept people for who they are. But he also loves you too much to leave you where you are. And so if you're here today and you need a fresh start with Jesus, in a moment I'm going to ask you with every head bowed and every eye closed just to simply raise your hand as a sign of surrender. It doesn't save you, but it simply acknowledges that, that you need Jesus in your life. And if that's you today, I want to invite you right now, if you would, just, just lift your hand and say, I need Jesus in my life. Raising your hand doesn't save you. I'm sure when Peter was sinking, he lifted his hand. He's like, Jesus, help me. But he wasn't saved until Jesus came over and took his hand. And so in a moment when we pray, essentially what's, what's taking place in your spirit, what's taking place in your life is Jesus is reaching down and taking your hand. And when I pray, it's not my prayer that saves you, but it's yours. You get to have a conversation with the one who created you. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. I know that there are things in my life that have broken your heart. I'm asking you. I feel the guilt and the weight and the shame of that. And I don't want to carry that around. I'm asking you to take that from me. And when he went to the cross, he's already taken that from you. We just have to open our hands and let it go. And you say, Father, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to direct my life. I'm giving you permission to lead. And I want to do the best I can to follow and it doesn't mean like everything's perfect. It doesn't mean like your life is going to be storm-free, but it will be storm-proof that you'll come through the storm stronger for the next one. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I just come to you um, this morning, God. I thank you for just your incredible presence in this room during worship, and I thank you for the power of your word. And God, I pray that it is um, struck deep in the hearts of those who needed to hear it today, God, that just put me aside and it's all you, all your word. God, that we would just continue to follow you. And God, those that, that raised their hands this morning, and maybe they didn't raise their hands, but God, they lifted their hearts to you, God, that, that you know them. God, I pray that right where they're seated, that they would experience just your presence in an undescribable way, your love in an undescribable way, and, and even their shortcomings and their failures, that they would just hear you whisper, just follow me. God, that every, every guilt, every shame, God, your word says that all things are made new for those who are in Christ. God, for the, for the rest of us, I pray that we would live boldly, believing and knowing that you are for us. That even when it doesn't feel good, you are for us. Even when it's scary, you are for us. Even when you seem distant, you are for us that you work all things for our good and for your glory as we follow and we trust you. So Father, help us to do that as a church, as individuals. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone says amen. Come on, come on. Celebrate that.